Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. invite you all to stand in body or spirit. Our first lesson, which comes from Leviticus in the 26th chapter, picking up with verse 1, listen now to the Word of God. You shall make for yourselves no idols and erect no carved images or pillars, and you shall not place figured stones in your land to worship at them, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary, I am the Lord. If you follow my statutes and keep my commandments and observe them faithfully, I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its produce, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall overtake the vintage, and the vintage shall overtake the sowing, and you shall eat your bread to the full and live securely in your land. And I will grant peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and no one shall make you afraid. And I will remove dangerous animals from the land, and no sword shall go through your land. You shall give chase to your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. And five of you, five of you shall give chase to a hundred, and a hundred of you shall give chase to ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. I will look, upon, I will look with favor upon you, and make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will maintain my covenant with you. And you shall eat old grain long stored, and you'll have to clear out the old to make way for the new. And I will place my dwelling in your midst, and I shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be their slaves no more. I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Those who are able to stand, we invite you as we read our second lesson this morning. It comes from Acts chapter 14. If you'd like to read along in your pew Bible, it can be found on the New Testament on page 133. Listen now to what the Spirit is saying to the church this morning. In Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet and had never walked, for he had been crippled from birth. He listened to Paul as Paul was speaking, and Paul, looking at him intently and seeing that he had faith to be saved, said in a loud voice, Stand up right on your feet. So the man sprang up and began to walk. When the crowds saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates. He and the crowds wanted to offer sacrifice. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, 
They tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We are mortals just like you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these worthless, these vain things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, He allowed all the nations to follow their own ways. Yet He has not left Himself without a witness in doing good, giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. But even with these words, they scarcely restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Will you pray with me? Holy God, giver of all wisdom and knowledge, we pray that this morning you would speak you would speak a word, God, that we as your people might hear you and thus be made evermore into your image, the image of the word made flesh. Amen. Well, for as long as I have known my sister-in-law, she has lived overseas. In fact, when Joy and I were getting prepared to get married that same summer, she was making preparations to move to China. And many of you had the opportunity to meet her this past summer when she was visiting us. She lived in China for four years. And one of my favorite things about uh, her living in China was the emails that she would send to us that included pictures of what is known as Chinglish. Now, maybe you're familiar with this term. Uh, for those that have traveled some, Chinglish is any time where um, you have a sign and there's kind of Chinese characters, but those Chinese characters have been interpreted, translated into English, but the English is just way off. Uh, so, for instance, we were sent a picture of a fire extinguisher. And above this fire extinguisher, it read in English, hand grenade. Like, apparently somebody got that one wrong, right? This is Chinglish, and it happens all over, right? There might be a sign uh, that says, use caution, can be slippery when wet, but instead it reads, slip and fall down carefully. Or a sign that reads, execution in progress, which really should say construction in progress. Apparently, they're close, I guess. Um, A set of tools is also known as a manicure set with a pair of pliers. It's a very painful manicure tool set, right? Uh, um, There was a sign for the Bureau of Soybean Ketchup. I don't know what that means, but it was there. And my favorite picture that she sent to us was a sign that said, Do not disturb... The tiny grass is dreaming. Do not disturb. The tiny grass is dreaming, which really means don't step on the growing grass, right? I guess grass dreams. That's fascinating. A quick Google search will reveal hundreds, if not thousands, of these funny translation errors. However, they also reveal the reality that whenever cultures 
come into relationship with one another, there's going to be a translation error. Whenever cultures collide, things just get lost in translation. And this is the case in our scripture reading this morning as Paul and Barnabas encounter the people of Lystra in Lyconia. You see, Paul and Barnabas had left Pisidian Antioch where we were last week with them. They had been run out of town by the Jews. So at the end of the chapter, we're told that they even dusted their feet as Jesus had commanded His disciples to do in the Gospels whenever a town or a group of people did not listen or welcome the Gospel. So Paul and Barnabas move on to Iconium and begin preaching, but the same thing happens. They're run out of town. And so they find themselves in kind of this small, really remote town called Lystra. In the region known as Lyconia. And our story this morning is is really strange. When I first read it this past week, I went, really? Chuck, I have to preach on this passage? Um, There's some odd things happening, right? There's a miracle, and the miracle happens simply because Paul looks at a man and sees that he has faith to be saved. I've never looked at anyone and been able to say, now they have faith, just by looking at them. But then this man is healed and these people automatically think Paul and Barnabas are Greek gods. Whoa. Hey. It's working now. I'm on. If you were asleep, you are no longer. That's good. The voice of the gods, if you will. Yeah. Uh, That's a new trick we've been working on. It's on now. That's good. Uh, They think that Paul and Barnabas are gods. And so they try to sacrifice a bull. They bring out some garlands. And they're going to have a party. But not the kind of party that Paul or Barnabas want to have. And if you keep reading at the end of the story, uh, they get run out of town again. But this time, it's not before they're stoned and they have to escape with their very lives. I've never uh, healed anyone simply by looking at them. Uh, I've never been mistaken as a Greek god and almost had a sacrifice on my behalf. I don't know about my fellow uh, teaching elders. I don't think so. And I definitely have never been, you know, almost stoned by the congregation I was preaching to. Uh, Maybe this morning will be different, but I don't think so. Um, But such is the life and ministry of Paul. But what I have experienced, and maybe you've experienced this as well, is cultural confusion. And at the heart of this story this morning, despite all the strangeness and the weirdness, is really simply just cultural confusion. You see, in ancient literature, Lystra is frequently described as a cultural backwater of a town. And the people of Lystra, characterized largely as rustic and uncivilized, the story uh, this morning continues to keep that stereotype alive. Maybe you know a place like this, right? 
that, that town that you, oh, well, they're just from that, you know, they're from there. You gotta have to drive a while to get to the nearest grocery store. You know, it's kind of small. Everyone knows each other, and they really just don't have any connection with the outside world. That's Lystra. It's a closed community with its own religion, its own culture, and just really little contact with the rest of the Roman world. And Paul and Barnabas stumble upon this town and they begin to preach. And they don't go to the synagogue like they have in all of our previous stories. Paul has always gone to the synagogue first, but in Lystra he doesn't because there's not a synagogue. Which means this is a truly Gentile population. And Paul begins to preach. But before he can do that, he sees this man. And in the first two verses of our story this morning, we're told four times that he can't walk. But not just that he can't walk, but that he hasn't been able to walk since he was born. That he doesn't even have the use of his feet. Now, the author of Acts, Luke, wants us to get the point. It's impossible for this man to ever walk which makes this miracle that much more astounding and amazing. Because all Paul does is he sees him. He has faith to be saved. Not just healed, but actually saved. And so Paul says, get up. And the man jumps up and begins to walk around. Now at this point, You've walked with us through the gospel or the, the Acts of the Apostles thus far. And maybe in your mind you're remembering that there's a story very similar to this. In Acts chapter 3 where Peter is on his way to the synagogue to pray and he stumbles across a man who can't walk on the steps and he heals him. They start eerily similar. But in chapter 3, Peter is then brought before the officials, the religious leaders, and, and questioned about how he had the authority to do this miracle. Well, in Acts chapter 14, uh, the people of Lystra are not concerned about authority at all. In fact, they're really not worried about it. No, instead, they mistake Paul and Barnabas as Greek gods. Now, why do they do this? They do this because in Lystra there is a particular legend that has been passed down. And it's the legend about how the god Zeus and his messenger Hermes had come to the town. And there was one couple that received them with hospitality, while the rest of the town ignored them. And the result of this was that this one couple was rewarded, while the rest of the town died in a flood, tragically. Now, this is not a very nice legend. This is not a very nice story. And all of the Lystrans, knowing this story and seeing this miracle, automatically assume that Paul and Barnabas are the gods. Come to test them again. But this time, no, this time they are going to receive them with great hospitality. So they begin to perform a sacrifice. Very different story than Acts chapter 3 because we've moved out of the Jewish world now into the Gentile world where there's bound to be cultural confusion. 
which is what happens in this scene. The Lystrans have their own language. They, they speak Lyconian, and, and so they're talking in this language, and Paul and Barnabas can't really understand them, and the priest comes, and there's, there's oxen everywhere. The, the, the crowd is ruckus. I mean, can you imagine the story with me? It's, it's a pretty fascinating and pretty funny scene, really. Paul and Barnabas looking kind of confused at what's happening. But the moment they realize what's going on, the moment they realize that, that the people think they're gods, the only thing that they can do in that moment is run, screaming at the top of their lungs, we are not who you think we are. We are not who you think we are. Cultural confusion. I remember a moment in my own life. Maybe you have one, but uh, when I was in college, I got to travel to Japan twice. Uh, we were working with military families, in particular the youth of, of families that were stationed all throughout the Pacific region. And uh, at the end of our trip, we had an opportunity to experience Tokyo, I mean, one of the world's uh, great big cities. And so we took advantage of that and, and walked around Tokyo and took the train and got smashed in like sardines. And, and I'm very tall, so I was bumping into people all day and, and saying, excuse me and sorry a lot. We had a wonderful time. But it was a team of 12 college students, uh, one Navy chaplain, one Air Force chaplain, and one college professor. There were no Japanese among us, and so we had to kind of make our way through Tokyo without really knowing the language or knowing any of the cultural customs. Um, and Japan is a very different country than America. And so as the day progressed, we had done pretty well. Uh, there's lots of English, so it was easy to get around. But as the day progressed, one of my teammates really, really, really needed to use the bathroom. I don't know about anybody, but when you travel and you're in an, kind of an unknown place, you really got to use the bathroom. It just kind of adds some stress to the trip, right? Uh, you know, when you're driving along and you haven't seen a rest area for a while, you kind of start to get a little bit hectic. Like, uh. Now imagine yourself in a nation where you don't speak the language, okay? It just kind of adds to the stress of the moment. So we began walking into kind of store after store asking uh, the person at the counter, you know, do you have a restroom? And they would respond, hi. Now in J Japanese, hi means yes. So we would then try to find this bathroom in the store. Well, we, the first store we entered was like a 7-Eleven, and we could not find the bathroom. The attendant had said yes, but we could not find the bathroom. So we gave up, we went to the next store. Did it again, and they said, hi. So we, we couldn't find the bathroom again. But the third time we noticed that when the attendant would say hi, they'd also kind of go like this with their hands, which in some conversation afterwards, we began to realize actually meant no. And so while they were saying yes, they were also saying no. Hi, which means yes, but no. So we learned that actually the answer was no. So cultural confusion, right? Because in Japan, you want to be respectful. You don't want to lose face. And so they wouldn't say no. They would just indicate no. Now this left us a little bit perplexed and confused, but we made our way through and we found a bathroom and everything was good. But cultural confusion. When cultures collide. Things don't always go quite the way we think they're supposed to. There's misunderstanding, misinterpretation. And this is exactly what happens to Paul and Barnabas. 
You see, they're yelling at the top of their lungs, stop it, we're not who you think we are. We are not Hermes and Zeus. And they're so adamant about it, they begin tearing their clothes. Stop it! And so Paul begins to preach the good news. We are humans just like you, but we come in the name of the one true God. The God who is the maker of the heavens and the earth, who has given you rain and food and satisfied your hearts with good things. He quotes the psalm that we read as our call to worship this morning. You might have been worshiping other gods up until now, Paul says, but it's time to turn away from worthless or vain things to the one true God. You see, Paul is giving them an opportunity to turn away from religion and turn toward truth, toward revelation of God in Jesus Christ. All other attempts to understand God are vain attempts. God comes to humanity. Humanity doesn't get to make up God. The Lystrans have a complex religious system by which they have made sense of their world. However, Paul explains in the midst of this cultural confusion that it's futile, it's vain. The Lystrans, like us, must recognize, as the theologian Karl Barth said, that in view of God, all of our human activity to understand Him is vain at best. Or rather, that of ourselves, we are in no position to apprehend the truth about God. We need to renounce all attempts even to try to apprehend this truth, but rather to recognize that truth has come to us in Jesus Christ. This God, this one true God, created the world and everything in it. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He created humanity and directs the history of men. Therefore, all that remains for us to do personally is to turn from the vain things of the world to the living God. Now, we might hear this message from Paul this morning to the Lystrans and well, Nathan, I'm in church. I'm, I'm watching you on TV. I, I believe in the Bible. Well, this message doesn't really have much to say to me. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, we are often like the Lystrans, constructing a reality about who we think God is rather than who God is revealed to be. You see, when the Lystrans come face to face with the true God, their idolatry comes crashing down. What vanities, what false gods do we chase after? Do we follow? The truth is that the gospel always causes cultural confusion, cultures to collide, because it makes us think about our lives and our faith and our reality in light of who God is in Jesus Christ. There's only one true God. 
And this is where our allegiance must lay, with the Lord and maker of all. But do we follow the vain things of the world, money, power, prestige, reputation? These things will pass away. But God remains forever. As Presbyterians, we're part of the Reformed tradition. And in the Reformed tradition, one of the great gifts that we have given to the Christian body is our deep, deep understanding of idolatry. In fact, if you read uh, stories about the Reformation, one of the first things that the Reformers did to their places of worship was get rid of all the idols. And you'll notice if you look around this morning um, at our stained glass, there are no pictures in our stained glass. That's because as Reformed people, we don't believe in idols. In fact, we are very aware of idolatry. And so that's one of the first things that the Reformers did. They got rid of art, stained glass, anything that could get in the way of worshiping the true God. And so we too have that heritage. That's why in our sanctuary there are no symbols anywhere, simply a pulpit, a font, and a table. Just as the Reformers had seen idolatry creep slowly into the medieval church, so too does idolatry still creep into our churches today. And we must be vigilant to guard ourselves from ever allowing anything other than God to become our first allegiance. This is why we have a prayer of confession week after week after week. Because we recognize that more often than not, we follow things that are not worthy of our worship. We deceive ourselves if we do not think there are temptations all around us to make empty things into God. Within the church today, there's the temptation of making the institution of the church itself more important than the very God we claim to worship and serve. Or to make the building in which we worship more important than the God that is a living and active among us. Or maybe to make the worship styles, the kinds of music that we use in our worship as an idol, all of these things are vanity if they do not point us and the world around us to the one true God, the maker of heaven and earth. And in our own lives, there are too many things that would steal our attention away from God. Our jobs, we treat them as if they are everything we've ever needed. That if we could just achieve more, make more money, finally reach partner, that then my life will have meaning. Or we make our families and our spouses and our children into projecting onto them the reality that we think they are there to meet all of our needs, hoping that they'll be what we want them to be. We spend our lives searching and swapping one idol for another, 
chasing one for a little while and then realizing that it's vanity. Maybe it's a hobby, golf or fishing, our vacation home, and then it becomes our reputation or our family's reputation. Then it becomes about our image. How do we look to other people? We run after the vain things of the world. But as the great theologian Augustine said in his confessions, our hearts are restless, O God, until they rest in you. Or as the first question in the Westminster Catechism reminds us, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy God forever. We're not to make fake gods the things that we glorify, or ourselves for that matter, but the one true God, as Paul reminds us in verse 15, who made heaven and earth. We are here because of God's grace by God's sovereign will. Paul is inviting the Lystrans and us this morning to be reminded that all that we have is a gift given by God. And our response is to live a life of gratitude in response to God's grace. We are mistaken if we put our identity, our hope in anything other than the one true God. We have a mistaken identity if it does not rest in Jesus Christ. Our only hope in life and in death is Jesus Christ. He is our identity. He is reality. However, we are often, like the Lystrans, confusing false things as the real and living God. But these things will never satisfy And we can run around pretending that they will, that we've got it all figured out. But inside we know that we're just hoping that nobody catches us in our charade. Because if we're honest, we know that these things are just shadows. What does following the one true God with all of our life look like? What does it mean to turn from the vain things of the world to follow with gratitude, to glorify and enjoy God forever, to rest in God? The gospel causes cultures to to clash, to come into conflict, And each week, we are encountered in worship by the true story, the real story that brings our idols crashing down before us so that we might go back out into the world to proclaim the truth of who the one true God is. May we turn from these vain things to worship the one true God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.